Hey, greetings, fellow slingers. Welcome back to the show. It is I, your trusted handler, Brian, opening up the digital rage room once again. As always, before we get started, gotta do a little business first. Got some shout outs to our newest YouTube subscribers, Randy Andrews and Kahan Tahipa. Uh, I'm sure I butchered that last name, meaning I butchered the first and last name of the name I said last. Did you guys get that? Anyways, remember, if you'd like for me to give you a shout out, then head on over to our YouTube channel at WorldHard20 and click that subscribe button. It really is that easy. Guys, I want to get so many subscribers over there that it takes up the entire intro with me announcing your names. So if you want to hear your name, do it. Go on. Anyways, this particular episode, which I'm calling the epilogues, is a little shorter than the normal episode, but I think it serves its purpose. What purpose does it serve? Well, I'm glad you asked. For a while now, every time we see an agent in a scenario, they hit the ground running, tackle the case, and call TOD, time of death. It's very rare we get a glimpse into their personal lives, and it wasn't until recently that agents Adesso and Kimura were unable to return home. But that remained intangible to us. Why? Well, because as listeners, we really knew very little about them. But now, the way has been made for them to return, and we get a glimpse into their personal lives. Maybe even a small peek at their kink. Because we all know, everyone has a kink. Remember, if you're liking the show, leave us that 5-star rating and review on whatever app you listen to the show on. And please, for crying out loud, tell a friend about the show. I mean, word of mouth, spreading like fire. Fire across Southern California. Probably a bad joke. I used to live there in Southern California. I don't live there anymore. Don't forget about the Patreon page at patreon.com slash rollthehard20podcast. Please, like I said, this is a, uh, a single venture out here where uh, basically I'm, I'm putting everything out for this show right now and uh, use a little bit of cheddar. Just a little cheddar. So head on over there, please. And last, but not least, let's warm up our dice and top off our glasses. Roll the Hard 20 podcast presents Under a Pale Moon, Episode 7, The Epilogues. Epilogue. 6.30 at night, sun's long since gone down on this cold December evening. Polly Adesso, you pull up to your home, reach forward, thank the Uber driver for listening to all kinds of wild, cryptic stories that you basically riddled him with over the last 45 minutes. He just kind of Looks back, shakes his head, and, and says, Thank you for, for taking Fer. I appreciate that. Uh, good luck at home. Even before you close the door fully, the car's already leaving. <laughs> you turn around and see your single-story detached home. All the lights are off. 
even the porch light is off. It stands almost like a silent bastion, keeping guard over the whole street. Is it waiting for some? Probably waiting for you. Since it's apparent to him that no one's, well, people are home. He knows his wife and three kids are home. So he's going to enter into the side pocket door as quietly as possible, undo the three deadbolts on it, and walk quietly into the garage, turn on the light, and walk over to a recessed panel behind the washing machine. He presses it in the upper right-hand corner, in the lower left-hand corner, twists it, and it slides inside. Instead of being pulled out, it slides deeper inside the wall. And behind the wall, below the foundation, there's a box with a biometric lock. He puts his finger on it, lets it beep, unlocks the box, and opens it. Inside the box, you see an unusually heavy sphere with glyphs and markings that had once been housed within a 5 by 5 by 5 inch lead box, courtesy of Clyde Bowman's cabin. Right next to it, separated by a long, flat piece of lead, rests an electronic device of sorts. One of the two electronic relays procured from Hissler's temporal field displacement device with which he supposedly went back in time. You also see right beside that a long piece of gray polymer, once part of an amulet, the glyphs upon its surface barely visible and it rests upon a diary penned by a very old man who died in Peru. Polly, as you reach into the folds of your pea coat, you pull out a small Ziploc baggie. You see the four carnivorous incisors contained within. Teeth from two werewolves, memories of a night under a pale moon. As you look from left to right, making sure you're still by yourself, you slowly lower them down into the box, right next to a glass beaker that holds a chip of obsidian floating in a solution of unknown composition. The remnants from an obelisk that was found sequestered in a storage unit in Chicago. Memories of doing something unthinkable. Feeling around, in the box, your hands, cup and crest, two cassette tapes. You bring them up, seeing the filmy white of the plastic cases, and you look on them as they say, Montgomery Green, Volume 1, Montgomery Green, Volume 7. With a wry smile on your face, you place them back in the box on top of a copy of a copy of a book with a cracked spine and many dog-eared pages. Its title, How to Decipher Aklo. As you close the box, you begin to pull the paneling back up, turning it left, right, seating it right back where it was at, slowly pushing the washing machine back into its original position. Stand up, kind of lean against it, Take a breath, thinking about this, this deed that you've accomplished again. Polly, what reason do you give yourself for the retention 
of such unusual paraphernalia and hiding them. It's a tether to the reality that is. Since there are things that press into our reality from beyond, things that are unnatural and would do us harm, some things that would play tricks with your mind, make you believe that things aren't true that actually are, or make you see things that aren't there, this is the tangible tether to the reality. These events did happen. They're not a product of delusion. They're not a product of manipulation. They're not a false memory or even schizophrenia or the onset of some other mental disease. These happened. It did happen. It's true. And that's how a physical, tangible piece of what went on will remind him he's not insane, that he's not sick. These things did happen. The sacrifice of the time and the damage to the relationship with his mother and father and even some of the relationship with his brother and his and his wife are worth it. He's doing good work. After a few moments, you hear footsteps coming down the hallway. You see Sana with her long hair looking left and right. She, and she looks into the laundry room and she notices you standing there alone. And ironically, you see her standing alone as well. And then you notice something else that you don't hear anything else in the house. And she looks at you and she says, Holly, I've asked Joaquin to stay over at a friend's house this evening. And my mother came and got Jonas and Vala. They'll be staying over at their house for the weekend. And I think we need to talk. You've been gone for almost six months. And were it not for a man who said it was a friend of yours, somebody named Heisenberg. I don't even know if I would have known if you had left me or if you were dead or if you were in some other country. I don't know. I don't know. I was just only to have his word to tell me that you were doing work for the government. You were doing what you do for the government, which I am still in the dark over. But Polly, I can't live like this anymore. The kids deserve better. We deserve you here. Well, there's things we're going to have to discuss. Missed you a lot. It's been a long time. You can't live like this. Let's talk about what we can live with. What I do is very important. And it's things that I can't talk with you about. It's just it's not my purview, my place to discuss. It's, I'm bound by my oath. I'm bound by my word. And there's a lot of things that don't make sense if I just simply were to tell you what I was doing. There's got to be a bigger concept and a bigger picture for you to truly understand. And I just can't give you that information. But no, I love you and I love the kids. And I'm doing this for them. Damn it, Polly, I can't do this alone. I can't raise our children alone. I that's not what it's about. And as she's going into this, mm -hmm. you feel the flip phone in your pocket begin to vibrate. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Until next time. Until next time. Epilogue. The sun is going down on one of the final days of December. The fog hangs thick along the California Bay area 
as a train horn sounds off in the distance. Two men, both of Asian descent, walk amongst the closed-up warehouses that pepper the loading docks, the smell of wet asphalt hanging thick in the area from a recent drizzle. As they continue to walk, the pedestrian traffic, which was sparse to begin with, tapers off to nothing, and before long the two men stand in front of a burned-out, long-boarded-up warehouse. Each, where are we going? We are going home, my friend. You said that we are going to meet an acquaintance of yours? Yes, an old friend of the family, as I like to call it now. I will rely on your lead, my friend. You see that one of the long boarded up doors to the warehouse has recently been breached and it hangs slightly ajar. This looks like we'll have to get this fixed. I'm away for a few years and things just fall apart. We know each before we go into the building. I want you to know that I put my life in your hands, what your friend said when we were back in the Wasatch Mountains had me concerned. So when we walk through this door together, I will be vulnerable. You have nothing to worry about here. This is the area my old family once ran, I guess. That's long ago now, but we're meeting a friend today. Don't worry. You have nothing to fear. Lead on. I'll go through the uh, now broken door area. <laughs> Each, as you lead your friend Makamura through the door and into the long dormant warehouse, you see rafters that are sagging from years of rain and elements. You hear skittering about, possibly animals, definitely no bums. But off in the far distance, in the furthest corner of the building, you see a soft glow emanating from several candles. They appear to be giving off a warmth, almost a welcome. Very inviting. See that, Makamura? We're expected here. We have nothing to fear. Oh, lead on, my friend. As the two of you draw closer towards this soft glow, you see that it's Light is diffused by several shoji rice paper folded partitions with a slight opening between two of them. As you peer inside, you notice the thick tatami woven mats have occupied an area of about 12 feet square. You see an older man wearing black garb, head down in a lotus position, with several instruments to his right hand. Kimura, son. It has been long time. And you see this elderly, frail man rise up, no more than five feet. His aged body almost looks as though you could fold him and put him on a shelf. As he extends 
his hands in front of him and slowly bows. You see his skin resembles more of dry parchment than that of human epidermis. He bends slightly at the waist, bowing to you. Ichi will take his shoes off, noting to Makamura to do the same. And he'll bow as he enters and he'll go over and greet his old friend. Following your suit, you see Makamura do the same, remove his shoes, bow in. He's not completely unfamiliar with the culture, having been brought up with it himself. And he steps onto the tatami and remains silent. Ichi will walk over. Tengu-sama, so good to see you. How long has it been? It has been many moons, my friend. How do we count such losses, such grief, especially in that which we stand amongst? But we are not here to reminisce about days old and friends lost. You were very direct, were you not? Yes, it has been many moons, and that is particularly what I need your services for today. I need another piece another gift from you to chronicle the latest happenings in the last son of the Kimura clan. Please bear your tapestry for me and lay it down. Ichi will remove his shirt and his undershirt and hang it up and look to Makamura and say, you may want to sit. This could be a little while. And Ichi will walk over and uh, lay down. And tell me about your friend first before we get started. Is he merely an observer of the family business or is he here to become part of the business? He's a friend here to observe currently. I have not spoken to Makamura about any family business. Makamura sits down and assumes a meditative posture with his legs folded in front of him and remains quiet as you once again display this artwork upon your skin, an homage to all the stuff that you've encountered prior to your time with the agency and also as a reminder of those deeds you've done while with the agency. Oh, you've given me very specific instructions as to what you want me to put on you? Yes. And I'll show him the spot on my stomach area that's free of any other markings, this, bearing some scars. This area looks very tender, like it had been recently damaged. How long ago were these scars made here? Uh, believe it or not, Tengu-san, the wounds are barely a week old, yet they've nearly healed. No, no, not I, I, uh, please Roll over and give me your side, Kimura-san. Display for me your blank 
canvas. Ichi will move so his his uh, side is showing, and proceed to tell Tengu-sama, I'm looking for an Okami, and behind him, a large pale moon. Okami, or do you have a particular stance you would like this wolf in? Yes, this wolf will be not on all fours, but standing on two. He looks at you, his eyes, lids long covering his eyeballs, actually raise up slightly. I will do what you ask, Kimoto-san. You see Tengu-san reach down to his tools and brings up his nomi, the bamboo tool used for centuries upon the skin of those deemed worthy. And although this old man is in his 80s, his steel eyes and steady hand do not betray him as he begins moving this thing rapidly beneath the epidermis, pulsating as he begins to administer the Irozumi. You start to feel the heat of the ink as the image begins to take shape beneath your skin. As this thing continues to pulsate. And then there's a brief pause. And you hear. Nani? Himuda-san. Where have you been? What is this? Do you play with me? What are you having me do? You see him push away from you and actually rise up off the tatami. Even Makamura, his eyes go wide as he stands up and both men make a sanity check. <laughs> Tengu-san fails. Oh no. As does Makamura. Both men are appalled by what they see. As you roll over and sit up on your haunches, you look down and see that the ink that Tengu-san had just applied, trying his best to cover this damaged side of your skin, is slowly being absorbed by your body. Whatever ink he had deposited beneath your epidermis is no longer there. I thought just as much would happen, Tengu-san. I'm sorry for Shocking you, as I said, less than a week ago, my side was nearly ripped open, and now it's nearly healed. I had hoped this ink would be able to stop at this generation-long tradition we have done, would be able to overcome this new curse. There's nothing I can do for you, Mother-san. Kneel before me. Now. You see Makamura stand up, almost ready to, to jump to your aid. Ichi holds his hand out to Makamura. And that is enough to stay him where he's at. Kneel before me, Kimura-san. Ichi will assume the, I believe it's called the Seizan position. 
kneel before him and he will bow and keep his head down. You see Tengu-san pull out a short wakasashi and he lays it right next to your right ear. It says, you'll reach up and take the sword. You will now be known by your Heitai name, Onisan. Ichi will raise up and pick up the sword and hold it with both hands, bowing to Tengu-san. And then he will take the sword and place it by his right side and bow again. You'll know what the purpose of the Waksashi is. I, I do. Tell your friend in case your hand ever falters. Makamura-san, do you understand? I don't understand what he is talking about, Ichi. What is the purpose of this sword? Makamura-san, this means this is the keeper of my honor. In this new situation I have, Ichi rubs his side that's free of any ink and barely of any scars. Tengu-san gives me this blade. This blade is to protect the honor of my clan and to uphold it. And if I cannot take care of the situation myself, you are the one to help me keep my honor. Your hand will have to be the one that deals the final strike. But each that looks like a ceremonial sword, that, how can that do anything for you? That's not even a, a, a old sword. That's, I don't understand. I believe this blade has been forged with some elements that may help with the situation I have. And as Ichi is telling this to him, he removes the blade and runs it slightly across his side, cutting his skin. As you see the blood begin to pool around the tip of the blade and actually start to run down your flank, everyone in the room, you, Tengu-san, Makamura, are amazed at how the wound itself refuses to close. The blood itself refuses to coagulate. I understand now, each. You can count on me. Epilogue. Date, December 31st, 2021. Special Agent <laughs> Handler, codename Heisenberg. I just got off the wire with Director <laughs> informing him that Agents Adesso and Kimura are back on the reservation and are viable pieces once again. The director asked if the rift between March Technologies and Agents Adesso and Kimura had been fixed, to which I reported that they had returned to a serviceable status. I also informed him that another individual had been bumped up from friendly status to active on the action roster. He didn't ask for Kimura's name, and I didn't give it. The director likes to have many layers between him and culpability. 
There was a pause in our conversation when the dialogue shifted into an unusual line of inquiry. I was asked by the director about the status of the other agents. When I informed him that their tenure was solid, he corrected me, even going so far as to say that neither he nor I have a solid tenure. That kind of revelation leaves one cold inside, and that's why I'm recording this report, should anything happen to me. I can't help but wonder who dropped Adesso, Kamura, and me into the meat grinder. It would have had to be someone with enough pull to make it happen, especially during a night at the opera. It's expected that agents might get waxed during a scenario. Hell, that comes with being on a case. But to send agents into the field knowing they will die, that's something we don't do. That's something directors don't do. Those orders come from high up, much higher than my own ceiling. I'm going to hide this recording alongside the others when I'm done. I like to think of it as insurance. Better to have it and not need it, rather than need it and not have it. As a side, I think I'm going to have a conversation with Lieutenant Gilberto Smith. Yeah, Gilberto and I, we go way back long before he worked for Rebecca Thornhill on her Coral Nomad team. I just, uh, I gotta satisfy a curiosity of mine, and I want to see if he can settle this uneasy feeling that we may be slotted in the future for being the next mission. Thank you for joining us once again on Roll the Hard 20 Podcast. Remember, you can find us and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon Podcasts, and Audible. And if you like what you're listening to, leave us that five-star rating and review. We have also have a YouTube channel at Roll the Hard 20, so if you're into watching, head on over and hit that subscribe bell. We can also be found in the wild on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, so don't forget to look for us there and check us out. You can also contact the show directly at RollTheHard20Podcast at gmail.com or head on over to the website at RollTheHard20Podcast.com where you can download the current show directly, pick and choose past shows from our archives, or view our galleries. We've got a lot of stuff posted there, so check us out. And finally... Join us on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash rollthehard20podcast where you can become a hard slinger and pick up swag. So until next session, keep your dice warm and your glass topped off as you roll those hard 20s.